Hey SEOs and content marketers, say goodbye to crazy spreadsheet mashups and experience unprecedented connectivity between your SEO planning and reporting data. Introducing Audience Key, technology for keyword mapping, content brief automation, and rank tracking that form an SEO strategy system providing unparalleled feedback loops between planning, reporting, and optimization activities. Put your time and energy into strategy, not data upkeep. Visit audiencekey.com and apply for a free trial today. on WMR.FM. It's the uh, 2nd of February, 2023. And this is a special webcology. It's the beginning of a new era after, um, you know, this is long-term listeners, especially ones who, who tuned in for last week's show know. Last week was a uh, 17-year-long co-host Dave Davies' last show. Um, he's off to do... Uh, work on machine learning and AI-focused podcast with, with his uh, new company, Weights and Biases, and um, replacing him. Replacing is the wrong word, but, you know, coming into the, the new co-host, sitting in the chair is longtime uh, guest host, Christine Schackinger from Las Vegas, Sites Without Walls. Um, Christine and I have been friends forever, for at least it feels forever, probably a uh, search engine strategies in San Jose and, like, 2007 or six or something but uh christine welcome here welcome home i'm really really so glad that you're uh that that that, that, that you're taking over thank you i'm so excited to be doing it regularly instead of just filling in so it'll be uh, interesting i think we will have a great time and as you said we've been friends forever i can't even remember when we met it's been so long <laughs> so um and, you know, we're going to be doing some uh, new things, too. We're going to be putting up a website for the show. And we're going to be hitting the socials. And so uh, it'll be easier to find us in, going forward. So, Yeah, we're actually going to be promoting the show from now on and hopefully expanding the repertoire of stuff that we cover. But uh, um, aside from the ongoing artificial intelligence revolution, and incidentally, um, Google has proven again why you absolutely never let engineers name stuff. Apprentice Bard is on its way. That's Google's, um, <laughs> I know, you took Apprentice Bard. Like, be, be prepared for really uh, bad poetry layered upon like repetitive songs or something. Um, Apprentice Bard. Um, it's actually, it's, I'm, I'm really excited about Apprentice Bard. It's Google's answer to chat GPT. Um, we'll see what happens with it, but more exciting. <laughs> um, we have uh, Mike Icon King as a guest today. This is the second week in a row I was able to write the intro to a guest while listening to their music on Spotify. Icon the Mike King is better known in the SEO world as Mike Icon King. Mike to everyone around him. He's the founder and CEO of iPoll Rank, a New York City-based SEO and digital marketing agency. Mike's also a talented musician, a highly accomplished web dev with a quarter century of experience behind him, and the producer of the, uh, the world's first short film about SEO, Runtime, the Three Ring Circus of Technical SEO, which was a Moz lecture, but is now widely available on, uh, on YouTube. Okay, so you folks might have heard about the Andex leak last week. Late last week, rumors of a treasure trove started flowing around SEO circles. Someone had, uh, shall we say, made Yandex information widely accessible and available. All of it. And what's been called the biggest data link since AOL spilled its user data all over the web in 2006, the kernel code weight and variables of the Yandex ranking algorithm got studied and in large parts decoded over the weekend. Now, the AOL dump was a watershed moment in search. It literally led to massive reforms in how information was kept, as it proved, among other things, that you could tie an individual back to a search string they made. The Yandex leak is the first time a major modern search engine has been torn apart. And among his other accomplishments, our guest was one of the first SEOs to dig deeply into how the world's fourth largest search engine works. Michael Icon King, uh, Mike, Welcome to Webcology. Thanks for having me, Jim. Super excited to be here. Man, I am excited to have you here. I've been, um, I've been wanting to have you on the show for a long time, a really long time. Um, I've been following uh, a lot of the stuff that you've been doing. I loved, I really loved Runtime, the uh, three-wing circus of technical SEO. But I'd actually, I'd met you a few years before that in Charlotte, North Carolina. 
mm. of all places in a uh, hotel bar across the street from the convention center. Um, was you it had a digital no, summit? It was a digital summit, yeah. Rand mm. and Geraldine and a whole posse of folks were gathered around the uh, the lobby. There was this really weird crew with a party bus that was taking us places. <laughs> um, and so we're gathered around and there's this lively conversation about SEO. And um, I said some stupid smart ass thing and you look over and I even hadn't realized I was sitting there. You'd never met me before, never seen me before. I was just this bald old guy. And you're like, who's that guy? <laughs> under my breath, I'm like, I am your grandfather, Mike. <laughs> and I felt so cool for a moment. I felt so, so totally cool. Mm. I've been wanting to have you on the show since that moment. So why didn't you call me until now? Because everything happened so fast, you know? I'm like, you know how things go? You would, and that then was you like put the, five years ago, at least. Yeah, at least, I know. And then you put that cartoon out in 2020, that, that Moz lecture that turned into the cartoon. That was like amazing. Um, I wanted Thank to have you, you on then. Mm -hmm. But then, then the index happened. Mm -hmm. And um, you were the very first. So, you know, I was watching you and Ryan Jones um, going back and forth in, uh, in Twitter over the weekend. And yeah. oh, I don't even know, I don't even know how, how, to, how to get it. How did the index leak happen? What, how did you discover what happened? Yeah, as far as I know, you know, one of their disgruntled employees just threw a big portion of the code base on the web or not on the web on a torrent. And uh, my friend Ben Wills from Antolo, he had posted on Facebook, he was like, hey, imagine if I had the code to Yandex, who should I talk to, <laughs> to review it with? And someone tagged me and I was like, yes, send it to me immediately. So he and I connected and, you know, he had already had a bunch of um, insights as to like where things are because the code base is very large. It's not just the search engine. It's like some of all the services they offer, like their taxi service, their mail, like maps, everything is in there. And wow. so uh, Ben had already identified some of the key folders that we needed to look at and he already had like a, a few insights and I was like yeah let me get a copy of that and then I just kind of got obsessed with it from Thursday onward and um you know not too many people had known that it had leaked at that point because like I think it had just happened and he somehow just you know got it very quickly and so I was like yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna try and be the first to like do a real deep dive here but then Martin McDonald had found one of the uh, rankings factors files and he posted it and he's like, there's 1922 rankings factors. And of course, everyone ran with that. And I was like, guys, like you, you can't, you can't just like do this. Like I'm still working here, you know? And um, I also knew at that point that there was far more than 1922. And so I, I really just kind of like, abandoned the rest of my day on Friday and just was like, cool, I'm just going to look at this until I can find all the, you know, the the good things, like the good nuggets that can really be a good analysis of it. And so that Friday turned into my whole weekend of like just digging through code, you know, checking in with Ben, checking in with Ryan, and we were all just like coming up with new insights. And then I was like, all right, guys, I got to write this thing. Like, we got to get this out. Let's keep going. But I'm going to, you know, try to get some insights that are going to be valuable for the search community. Now, before we go any further, I think um, it's probably important to um, put the disclaimer out. This mm -hmm. is the index. This is not Google. However, absolutely. Um, however, knowing how Yandex works does give insights into how a really, really, really large information system works. Sure. What's the value of knowing what to you? Um, we work with Google uh, primarily. What's the value of knowing about Yandex? Yeah, I mean, it. the values, it's, all right, so I'm writing a book right now, it's called The Science of SEO, and my whole premise of this book is like, Google isn't magic, you know, I mean, Google started from the, 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 the area of computer science, which is information retrieval, and so there's a lot of best practices that have emerged in that space, there's a lot of information that's out there about how things work, and also at certain points, certain Google engineers are like quite transparent about certain things that they build, and so my whole premise with my book is like, all right, 
if we piece all of this stuff together, we can get a good sense of how Google operates. And the reality of that is that it's a series of hypotheses, right? Like, I don't know exactly how Google works. No one does unless they work, unless they're probably like Jeff Dean or somebody like that. Um, but looking at the Yandex code base is really very validating for a lot of those hypotheses because they are explicitly doing a lot of the things that we expect that Google would be doing. So it's no longer just like, oh, this is possible. A major search engine is actually doing these things. And so it's not to say that, you know, all right, now we've uncovered what Google is doing because of what we see with Yandex, but we have a better idea of what we need to be expecting as far as how search engines operate. So as an example, one of the things that I highlight in the article that I wrote is that, you know, Google has said forever, like, hey, we have 200 ranking signals. <laughs> and so the way that a lot of us have interpreted that is like, okay, there are 200, you know, on and off page factors and that's it. Well, probably not, <laughs> you know, because seeing what Yandex has, we've identified nearly 20,000 ranking factors that are being used there. And all of them make sense to be something that is potential uh, potentially something that Google could be using. And so that really has allows us to understand that like, okay, there might be 200 signals, but a lot of those signals might be composite signals rather than thinking like, okay, there's only 200 things that they might be looking at about this page. So I think that, you know, it just allows us to open up our understanding a bit more because obviously Googlers are going to be in, inherently vague. They also use you know, more of the information retrieval vocabulary when they're talking about things. Whereas in SEO, we are using SEO vocabulary. And so there's a lot of like purposeful obfuscation that comes from that. And now that we have an actual code base to look at, we're able to like have a bit more discernment about how certain things could be built. Now, there's probably a half dozen or so people in the SEO industry who've come close to digging into uh, to Yandex as, as, as much as you have. Um, having done the deep dive, do you understand how Google, Bing, Yahoo, and other large-scale search engines work better? Yeah, I think I do. Because, um, you know, again, for me, it's, it's all about details and nuance and so on. And I'm not going to sit here and, and say like, oh, I'm now an expert on how to build the next Google or, you know, I know how every feature and functionality in Google works. Again, that's not possible. Um, but I do have a better framework for working knowledge to understand like, okay, they made this change. Here's a few ways of how they could have done this technically. And then here's what I should be thinking about what should I do when I'm thinking about optimization? So as an example, right? Like when you think about indexing. So, you know, one of the things that I uncovered in like an older white paper, I think it might've been like an Amit Singhal white paper or one of those people uh, where they talked about like this best practice of having, you know, the, the index broken into three different um, uh layers basically right so like one is you know real-time crawling so all of your news sites are getting crawled every second things like that and then you've got kind of like regular crawling which is um you know the the pages that are just getting crawled at a regular clip and then you've got pages that are rarely crawled and so what you want is to not be in that rarely crawled bucket because as we all know the more opportunities for being crawled the more opportunities for your page to be reconsidered for ranking and so there was a point where um Googlebot was really reactive to dates. And I don't know if you remember this, but there was like a blog post on one of the sites where someone said like, oh yeah, I just made it so my, my page uh, updates the date every day and the crawl activity went up. Well, the dates are one of those signals that, you know, one, we can see in the Yandex um, ranking factors and also in the code that they're looking to understand what the date is and they're comparing the date in a variety of ways and they're using that to make decisions around crawling. So knowing that Google had these three buckets, and I'm, I'm sure it's like more than three at this point because, you know, there's a variety of ways to think about this. Um, but knowing that they have multiple buckets for where they can put content based on how regularly they believe it is um, updated 
Well, now I know like, okay, well, if there is a reason for a page to be updated every day, I'm going to angle for that because I know that it creates a downstream impact of when they crawl and then also when they reconsider that page for ranking. So, you know, that's a, a pretty complicated thing that I've just laid out there, but I have enough evidence to indicate that that is something worth doing as an optimization that can yield improvement just from, you know, a simple thing like updating the page on a daily or weekly basis. That's okay. Um, now, okay. It's hard. I, I, I want to dig into the Yandex algorithm, and it's really hard to do that without um, noting that you found there was 17,900 some odd uh, triggers that might influence Yandex in one way or another. Mm-hmm. How did you how, how did you come to um, nearly 18,000 unique, <clears throat> unique things? Yeah, so just going back to what I said about the thing that uh, Martin had shared, these files are literally named like ranking underscore factors. <laughs> and <laughs> so on in those files, they're like listed. It's, it's a, a bunch of, um, you know, basically really similar to like a JSON object. And it says the name of the factor, there's a description, oftentimes in Russian. And then what you can do is kind of just search across the code base and see where that's referenced. And so then you can got to kind of get a sense of how it's being used. And then based on that, you start to be like, oh, okay, well, this one is pretty important. This one isn't. Um, and then when, once we uncovered the actual weights for, I think it's something like 257 that um, you can see the initial weights in the code, you're like, okay, well, these are really important and they're used as part of what are called um, posting lists. So, and again, this is something that Google does too, because they have, the way the, the um, index is structured is that, you know, it's not just like one big thing that's like sitting on one computer, it's distributed across thousands of computers and each component is called a shard and so it'll go to each one of those shards and say give me all the pages that are related to this query and then it brings all those together and says okay let's re-rank these based on you know the relationship to that query and so with that initial um scoring we can then look and see okay well these are the the factors that get into the consideration set and now you can you know think about how might Google also have similar factors and how do I optimize for them? And again, we can't say that there's gonna be a direct analog between the two, but some of those factors make a lot of sense, right? Like um, you know, PageRank being one of them for Yandex as well. Um, and thinking about, okay, like how do I, how do I, you know, make adjustments here? So one of the factors or the factor that had the the highest negative weight was the presence of ads. Really? Um, yeah. And, okay. and then they, they had another factor, which was lower in the list, which, which was the presence of Yandex ads specifically. So, you know, that tells me, like, if I want to pay the rank as well as possible, maybe I just take the ads off of it. <laughs> There's a lot of publishers out there just shaking their heads. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, someone who's worked yeah. with a lot of publishers who put like 10 to 14 ads on a page, I always tell them, let's get it down to four or six. You'll actually make more money and you'll do better in search. And Indeed. Every time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so, 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 Mike, you're, you're looking at all of this. You're trying to write an article and trying to explain an incredibly complicated thing to, you know, a well-educated audience, but still, mm -hmm. where do you start? Like, how, how, how do you break it down and order it and, and, and so you can explain it? Yeah, I mean, I tried to look for things that that the search community would relate to. You know, there's a lot of things I found in there that were interesting to me, but maybe not interesting to people who, you know, don't code or aren't um, interested in the specific architecture of the, sim of the system. And so, you know, I found some things that were related to their neural network. I found some things, um, you know, related to links. I, I assumed that our audience would really care about links because there's a lot of SEOs that just think like, oh, it's just content and links. So I was like, okay, let me highlight some of the things that are related to that. And, you know, that that's what allowed me to stop where I stopped to write the article because otherwise I, I would have just kept going forever because there's just a lot of really interesting nuances to how the code is written, 
you know, what's written in C++ versus what's written in Python, because there's a combination of things in there. There's also things written in Go, things in Java. So I could have just talked about the structure of this, but I knew that the SEO community probably wouldn't be all that interested in it. That said, you know, what I've, what we've moved to do is just like continue to do this in an ongoing basis. And uh, I started a Slack community that I'm starting to like in, invite people to, um, of people that are just like interested in doing exactly this, digging in the code, finding insights so that we can, you know, create like a, a wiki of everything that we found so that other SEOs can learn from it. And I think what I wrote in that article is really just scratching the surface of all that we can learn from it. And I really want to turn it into, you know, a, a crowdsource effort where all the SEOs that are in the coding and, and, you know, know what I know and even more about all this stuff uh, can pull out what they learn. And then we can create something that's of value to our community where they can learn as much as possible from this leak. What when you look at okay now again it's, it's it's important to reiterate that Yandex is Yandex it serves a radically different audience than uh, Google does um, but it's the fourth largest search engine in the world and um, I understand it was built to emulate Google and um, apparently scrapes and steals from Google quite liberally. Um, how does Yandex work? What's important to it? Where does it where does it start to look at a, at a website? What does it consider as a important ranking factor that webmasters might get their hands on? Um, how, what's the <laughs> <laughs> Jim, how much time you got? Like we can talk oh, about that. Heck, I am about, about uh, 38 minutes. How about you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, again, there's just a lot of really interesting and weird ranking factors in there. Um, there was one that basically looks at the the query versus the overlap of parts of the query in the domain name. So the example that they give is the mm. word, um, I can't even say it right because I don't speak Russian, but it was like chalato uh, is it 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 was like a um abbreviation of some lottery or whatever. And so it would look for um three letter combinations in that. So like, you know, the first three letters, the second three letters and so on. And it would look to see how many of those are actually in the domain name. So it's kind of similar to, you know, how I would imagine the exact match domain um, components used to work in Google where it's like, okay, here's the query. If I smash this query together, is it in the domain name? Cool, give it a boost, like that sort of thing. Um, they also look to see, you know, how, how much they, they call it like clickability from the word in the domain versus is there a, a Wikipedia page about that word? So, you know, imagine we're using like my name, right? And so if uh, my domain name is like Michael King and or dot com or whatever. And then they have a Wikipedia page that's also called Michael King. It's like, OK, this must be an important um, thing because we know that there's a Wikipedia page on it. Um, one of the another really interesting one that I found, and there, there's actually two here. Um, one is the, the domain a dot com and is it not a dot ru? So it's like the Russian search engine doesn't trust Russian domains. It gives bigger uh, weight to a .com <laughs> than it will to an RU. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. And then there was one, it was called Spam Karma. So they have a, a bunch of references to what they call anti-spammers across the code base. And the spam karma is this idea that you have been caught as a spammer previously. So we have some sort of like flag to indicate that you are possibly a, a spammer. And so, um, you know, it's the sort of thing like just don't ever do anything that they would consider black hat because otherwise they're going to mark you forever. Um, another thing that that is different from Google is Google has always said, or at least I've, as long as I can remember, they've said, that they don't have, um, you know, like domain level 
link factors, right? Like there's no like domain authority or whatever you want to call it. Whereas Yandex explicitly has something called host rank. And so they've identified like, okay, your domain is X level good. So let's leverage this as a ranking factor. Um, that's reasonably high in the list as far as like the positive ranking factors. So another one I just want to highlight is that they, they explicitly do use a dwell time. And that's another one that Google says that they don't. Uh, which I've never really believed because dwell time is like a best practice for information retrieval. There's a series of measures to indicate whether or not the session was successful for the user and clicks, dwell time. Those are both things that are like typically used for that. And I know that Google has their own set of measures for this. They had a whole white paper uh, related to you know how how to measure user satisfaction, and it talks about clicks. It talks about you know things like pogo sticking and so on. But they have some sort of like composite measure of those. So I think you know when when you're talking to a a Google spokesperson, um, it's very much that they are going to you know kind of lie by omission, for lack of a better term. Like, yeah, they're like, yeah, we don't use dwell time, but we use another value that uses dwell time. You see what I'm saying? And, well, um, okay. Well, totally. Like, 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 like Google does this. Google um, might not use a set of signals that it gets either through like the Google Analytics or, or Search Console or whatever for direct ranking factors, but it uses it to uses those signals to judge itself which in a snake eating its tail way has a direct influence over how it judges other websites. Like Google uses data to reinform itself over and over and over again. I imagine that's where it, it, it draws a lot of um, stuff from our websites that we think it's using for ranking, but in fact it's using for quality, I guess, quality scoring. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, another another interesting one was the number of slashes in a URL. So it, it's weird because it's a positive value. I'm not exactly sure how they're they're calculating it. Like if it's that they're calculating it where the lower one is better, but being that it's a, a positive value and it's in multiplied, it suggests that like the deeper in the site, the more important the page is. But Oh, yeah, I mean, it's really so it's not not the quickest distance from point A to point B, but if the user is venturing two, three, maybe even four levels deep, there must be something good down there. Yeah, okay. That I mean, that's the way it's presented. But you know, again, there's there's just so many little nuances like this that we need to think of, or or at least that we can learn from this. And again, it's it's not just content and links. Like I think it's very much that there are very specific ways that content is absorbed and analyzed and so on that we can learn from and use that to inform our content and links. Um, as it stands, you know, a lot of the SEO tools that we have, they're looking at features based on what it is that we can know, right? Like there's been a lot of discussion in our space over the last five to 10 years about TFIDF but very limited discussion around BM25, which is another very similar algorithm that obviously gives you different values. Both of those are present in the Yandex code base, but also BERT is present in the Yandex code base. And so, you know, the one of the models that is used by search engines is what's called the vector space model. And basically, what you're doing is you're taking the words on the page and representing them in multi-dimensional space. And when those words are, are uh, related to each other, they're physically closer in that space. And so with, with that model, what you do is you model the, um, the page as a series of vectors, and then you model the query as a series of vectors. And then you combine those in the space and you look for the ones that are gonna be closer, like where the, the query versus document relationship is the closest. And so there are no SEO tools that I know of that are doing that. And, you know, BERT is like, it's open source, it's available. Like why aren't our rankings tools 
making that calculation and then saying like, okay, versus your competitors for this query, you have a you know query document score of X, whereas they have a query document score of Y. And so that's what I'm saying. Like, there's a lot that we can learn from this that can inform our tool sets to be more close to what Google is doing so we can have that information to make adjustments. Dixon's going up that path, or he was going up that path without the comparative analysis. I don't, I don't think that um, um, he 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 lets you compare against against uh, competitor sites. But um, given the 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 the, the uh, decoding of the the, the leak from Yandex, mm -hmm. um, and also um, the again, we're in the middle of the greatest uh, revolution in expansion of our of computing capacities um well since computing um uh i imagine these tools are going to change change fairly quickly um have you been contacted by any, but have you been contacted by any of the tool makers yet <laughs> no i haven't um and you know i've always been vocal about where i think seo tools are falling short i think the reality is that you know, Google has dramatically improved what they have and SEO tools have it. You know, I think that somewhere in, in the 2010s, like there was just a, a quantum leap for Google and our SEO tools have still just been doing what they always do, right? Um, so again, I think that there's a lot of open source technology out there that can get us closer, but perhaps the engineers that work on SEO tools don't don't know enough about SEO and how it works. They're just kind of like building what some PM told them to build. And we're just really behind. So I hope what you're saying is true. I hope that, you know, a lot of our SEO tool companies will learn from this, this leak and then think about like, okay, that's how they do this. Cool. Let's build our own version of it. Um, but I don't know. I, I think someone like me <laughs> might have to be the person to do stuff like that. Well, no, I expect that's true. You, 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 you've taken steps in a uh, in a specific direction, and uh, I hear Christine wants to jump in. But there's a, 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 something that you had said just a second ago that I, that I do want to um, reiterate. Our tools are built on this to do the stuff that we know that we have access to. Mm -hmm. um, everyone's into Core Web Vitals because we can measure them and see them and um, you know, as much as Google gives us an indicator of what grouping this is, affect them in one way or another. But um, content is about a hell of a lot more than Core Web Vitals. Well, yeah, and yeah, absolutely. And I was just going to add in there. Yeah, large language models are like the way all search is going, and the tools are still doing just basically keyword research. So using <laughs> knowledge graphs, semantic relationships, neural matching, you know, those are the algorithms that Google is using, and those are not reflected in the keyword tools. So it would be great to see somebody advance the tools to a more knowledge graph entity, neural matching kind of representation. So like, if I put all the Marvel comic characters on a page, and I never mentioned Marvel, Google can pull back that that's a Marvel page because they do mm -hmm. the semantic relationships and the vectors and the knowledge graph and then the neural matching and the topical mesh so the tools don't represent that so they just kind of give you like here's the tool here's the keyword and here's 20 ways that keyword can be represented so i think you're right mike you really need to kind of build the next level of tools that understands that kind of topical relationship so. yeah i think that you know the a lot of our cool, uh, a lot of our tools tell us a whole bunch of what, but not enough why, right? Like I think that rank tracking tools specifically, there's a lot of room for there to be more actionable information. And you know, one of the big gaps that I feel we have in our space is that when algorithm updates happen, people just kind of like look at the various uh, visibility scores and they're like, well. I saw all these sites go down, so this must be what happened in this algorithm update. But you don't have any information aside from the fact that the visibility went down for those sites. <laughs> that could be for any number of reasons. And so one of the things that we're doing on our side is that we uh, track changes in content every time they change in our rankings platform. So we can say, okay, well, there's an algorithm update. Now let's look at what the before and after was on that content. Let's look at the before and after 
on the links related to those pages and so on. And then we can say, you know, more specifically, these are the things that change in this algorithm update. These are the things that Google appears to, um, you know, want more of, because we can do like the regression analysis and so on based on all those factors. And I wish that some of the, you know, bigger tools in our space, like I feel like SEMrush should have this, right? Like they have all the data or Ahrefs should have this because they have all the data. In fact, they built their own search engine. I would much rather them build this than build a search engine that no one's going to use. So, um, <laughs> you, you know, I think that there's a lot of opportunity for our space to evolve and, you know, do more of what Google is doing. By the way, funny story on a uh, quick one on uh, those visibility charts after an update. I woke mm -hmm. up one morning, site I was working on was on one of those charts in the top 10 of losses. Like, oh my gosh, what happened? And I go to our analytics and our BSC and we're actually up 30%. And so I asked somebody like, well, how did we make yeah, how do we make it to that list? Granted, it was a news site, so keywords changed all the time. And so mm -hmm. they were they said because they only monitor certain keywords and your keywords on those went down, but we weren't they weren't writing about anymore. That's why it went down. So it was just funny. It was just like, don't trust those unless you you actually know for a fact that that site was uh declined so your tool sounds great though it sounds like a great way to measure it one of yeah. the problems with seo over the years and I, I've, I've been i've been around since before the turn of the century i mean uh, my guy i'm so old i think i think chris hart's a young man that's that's, that's <laughs> you could tell if i said so nice, nice. <laughs> um we there is so much information out there. I mean, there's so many assumptions made by the most confident people in the room and, you know, broadcast quite loudly and frequently um, it's off base just enough that the telephone game changes it. Um, but it becomes gospel. So now we're on a new customer. I mean, everything feels like it's changing um, mm -hmm. with, with, with machine learning, with AI, with, uh, 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 a much deeper uh, sense of personalization is the wrong word, but the search engines know us far better. Mm -hmm. Is there, um, I guess I'm asking in your mind, what's the point where search has changed so fundamentally that it's different than the um, page rank and link based search of previous generations? I mean, that's already happened. You know, I think that a lot of what we do as SEOs doesn't matter as much as we think it does. <laughs> and, you know, everyone that's going to sell you SEO is going to be like, yeah, we're going to do your on page and then, you know, we're going to make content and then we're going to build links. I am reasonably sure that most of the links that people build don't even count. And I'm also reasonably sure that the disavow tool is just a crowdsource <laughs> classifier training tool. Um, and so a lot of the inputs that we are manipulating are not doing what we think they are. And, you know, I think the, the reality of it is that for Google to remain as good as it is, it has had to go beyond the models that we think about, right? And I think that we are still operating as though those models are true. But when you think about something like rank brain, you think about something like spam brain, they are taking a top level view of the web that we can never have. And so they're gonna use insights that we can never see. Even if we're thinking about the link indices that we use, they've always been incomplete. They never told us what Google is seeing. Like if you, if you pull the links from, you know, uh, SEMrush, Ahrefs, Majestic, Moz, and then you deduplicate them, there's always going to be more that Google sees than we saw. Because they're all crawling their own subset of the web, and they're all giving us their, like, entertainment metrics, basically, uh, which are meant to be approximations of what Google is doing. But we also don't know how many of those links Google is just not counting in general. Uh, in, a, in addition to what sites have disavowed, disavowed what. So we just don't have a picture 
that Google has. And we're operating from the things that we knew from, you know, 2003 in most cases. Um, and I think to, to uh, Christine's point, you know, with large language models, it's just going to continue to evolve in a way where it, what, like, what we do is just understood in a way that we can't really optimize for. You know, like back in the day when people were just doing bold and italics on everything, we were like, yeah, that's the way to do it. And, and you know, there's still people that believe that's the thing, right? It's like, oh, that's semantic markup. But, you know, there are relationships that Google has developed in our content that we just don't even understand that are being used to inform ranking. Absolutely. And um, uh, trying to understand um, how individual users express themselves. I mean, it's keyword rankings. Um, I felt like they went out of vogue sometime in what, 2008, so 2010 or something. Um, it's impossible to know how anything actually ranks, given that it'll rank differently. Um, you know, 500, five kilometers across town, it'll rank differently. Sure. Um, but uh, 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 and, and relationships between words, ideas and meanings, um, given that, you know, different people have different idioms and um, it's not about links and uh, and uh, keywords in your domain anymore, for sure. But as you said, the uh, 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 much of our thinking is still back there. Um, how much of the SEO industry is going to be here five years from now? It's a good question. Uh, I mean, I think what we got to realize is that Google is under like four big threats right now, right? Like one of which is a lot of people, a lot of younger people going to TikTok instead. Um, there's a lot of people that believe search quality isn't so good. And so they rather add Reddit to their query and then look at that instead. Uh, there's just like the general economic pressures. There is, you know, chat GPT, some people believing that those that's a better experience for a lot of their searches and then there's the whole antitrust thing so that's that's five threats that google has and a threat to google is a threat to us you know i mean they have to do things to um you know counteract all of that like they've got to do some things that doesn't make them seem like a monopoly they've got to do some things to make people believe in their search quality a bit more and i think the impact of a lot of that is going to be you know, some of the things that we are doing just aren't going to work as much in, anymore. And the threat of generative AI in general, like how, you know, as SEOs, we're going to run that into the ground. We're going to use that as the new content spinner and everybody's going to have million page websites with content that they've generated in an afternoon. And that's going to be bad for search quality as well. So Google is going to have to make some key changes in the near future that are going to change how we operate, just like Panda and Penguin did. And I, I, I think your question is the exact right one, that things are going to be very different, you know, two to three years from now than they are right now. I, I have a feeling jumping in on that, um, that would be AI content. Uh, they've gone back and forth, what is it, three times now? We won't use it, we, it's okay, we won't use it, it's okay. <laughs> uh, is that once they start getting a billion pages of mediocre AI content, which is most AI content's mediocre, uh, they might just stop indexing it. You know, if they can determine, they might determine it's AI, but if it's just mediocre. Because John last year, a bunch of people were coming to him on Twitter and saying, we have launched our website, and we have like 500 pages not indexed of our 600 page website. And John kept saying, this is before the helpful content update. Your content can't just be good. Your links, don't, your link profile good and your technical good. You have to make your content useful and unique. And he's never defined what useful and unique is. So it will be interesting to see what Google does about all that content because they have to pay to crawl that, right? And their budgets are already enormous for doing and indexing. So we'll be curious to see what happens with that. So I'm curious what you think they'll do with that. Yeah, I think that they're just getting increasingly vague with things like helpful content and you know EEAT like there there's there they're all things that are like qualitative that they're saying yeah you've got to you know focus on these things when at scale it has to be a quantitative thing exactly you see what i'm saying exactly. 
and so and and they're they're so far away from what it is that we know about that they can be increasingly vague you see what i'm saying because like all right well we we value you know experience expertise authority and trustworthiness and it's like cool well how do i do that you know like yeah. i thought that's what we've <laughs> always been doing <laughs> and so and so like helpful content like that is a completely subjective idea helpful to who because you know some of the stuff that you can get from a, a gpt or whatever language model you prefer can be considered helpful to someone that doesn't know anything about that subject matter so you know it, it's just a really weird space that we're in now when we spent so much time in and having very concrete ideas about what we do and you know the the environment of a machine learning driven search engine really allows it to be more of a black box and you know we just don't know what's going to work versus what doesn't yeah very true but the other side of that is what you just mentioned is it has to be measurable for them so there is something that they're measuring like they don't it's not an amorphous oh we just decided this is helpful content like they have that things that they're looking at so unfortunately they're right they're getting more and more vague with us because they don't want us to know what they're actually measuring and they might not even know because it's just a lot of machine learning i remember that saying years ago we'll never put machine learning in the main ranking factors because if it breaks something we can't fix it and so all the machine yeah. learning prior to helpful content last year was pre-scoring with like language models and post-scoring like with rank brain and neural matching where that changed your final placement in the rankings and couldn't be affected by anything but content and user intent matching. So now they put it in the ranking signals. And I just think like, that's where Matt cuts is like, no, we could never, never go there. Now I have gone there. So you're right. It does make a very big difference in what, what they do. They may not even know what it's doing at this point, I think. Yeah. So I actually, I actually have some, some insights there. Cause what you're saying is exactly right. Like that was one of uh, Amit Singhal's, uh, directives that they would they wouldn't do that because they wouldn't be able to understand how things work so there was a talk that Jeff Dean gave in I want to say like 2017 or so and he talked about that being a, a big consideration and how they had to build like a series of different tools that the search team could use um, so that they could feel comfortable using you know um, AI as a part of the the core algorithm and so it's actually been in there for far longer, but I think the key thing that happened was a meet leaving Google and then that guy, John G, who was like from the AI team, joining it and being like, cool, we're not doing any of what he said anymore. We're going to get machine learning in here. <laughs> and uh, then they, they did a pretty big overhaul and all that. But other than that, I, I definitely agree with what you said. Yeah, it's interesting times for Google because they also do it with their page layouts, which produce some very interesting results pre-holiday. <laughs> it's almost like so. Google didn't have a choice. Like, I don't think Google wanted to introduce machine learning into um, the algorithms or even into the composition of SERPs as deeply as they had. But um, you get the feeling that Google feels like their hand is being forced by everybody else using um, chatbots to try to drive themselves ahead of Google. Well, the, the chatbot thing is really interesting because you mentioned at the top of the show, Bard. Um, yeah, that, yeah. I've actually seen that thing. And it is, it's not chat GPT. Like it's visually similar, but it's not, um, it doesn't give you the same thing. Like it's not going to sit there and write you a research paper, whereas like chat GPT would. It also won't write code. But one of the things that it does do is it, um, it is, it says it's fact-based and it's leveraging the Google search index to, you know, give you answers. And so where chat GPT kind of falls short is that it's limited to what it's trained on up to 2021. Yeah. That's not a limitation that Google's tool is going to have. And so, um, you know, I think, the, the, there's going to be use cases for both of them, but I think if you want like real answers to things, Bard is going to be like way better than what chat GPT is. And I think it's like a good, um, 
a good approach for Google to like fire back here. So what's the Prentice Bard? Sorry, Christian, quick question. What's the Prentice Bard going to bring to the table? Facts. You know, because again, like that's one of the main problems with chat GPT and just generative AI in general, that you can you can generate something that sounds, you know, very authoritative, but is wrong. Right. Like I, I asked, I was just playing around with it. I was like, explain how Google does this using patents. And because one of the things you can do is you can say like, hey, explain uh, a named patent, like, you know, explain the, the page rank patent or whatever to me in simple words. And it'll, it'll do that because that's part of its training set. But I asked it to explain something else using patents and not explicitly saying which patent it was. It made up patents. Like it gave me patent numbers and everything. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, oh, that sounds great. And then I, I went to like look up the patent and it didn't exist. I was like, what? <laughs> like this is crazy. So yeah, whereas where whereas with Bard, it's gonna use information that it's it's got across the Google index and it's gonna have a higher likelihood of being something that you can actually like use as a response. And so just knowing that you don't have to like verify what you're getting from it, I think is gonna be a huge thing as far as like the different use cases of that information. Yeah, I definitely agree. I had a funny last week, I was doing a talk at Affiliate Summit West on ChatGPT. And mm -hmm. so I, I put in there, can you swear? Because I know it has restrictions. And it said, yes, I can swear, basically. And so I asked it to do something in the, uh, in the style of a swearing sailor. And it goes, mm -hmm. I cannot swear. <laughs> it's like, <this> is a <laughs> perfect indication of how it contradicts itself. But I had just a, a quick question for you on, so if Google goes forward with a, their version of Apprentice Bard, which is more like web GPT as opposed to chat GPT, mm -hmm. uh, and they give answers, do you, first, they can't get rid of all the searches because they won't have ads, but then it still generates like 85% of the revenue. Mm -hmm. But my question is, do you think users are going to, because as a user, I still want to search things. I still want to look for answers and review them and all that. So do you think we'll, we'll if it implements it like a one answer question, will users want that? Or are they going to want something that like summarizes a search for them? Yeah. I mean, the thing I said, I saw was like pretty, you know, beta. And I guess they were kind of just using it as a way to test the responses and all of that. Um, what I imagine or what I would think is a good way for them to do this and it doesn't disrupt the search workflow would be to add a chat box to the featured snippets and then with your subsequent questions the the page would basically refresh around that um i don't know if that's what they're actually going to do but like as far as you know continuing to have uh, monetization avenues around ads and things like that. I feel like that's the way that would make the most sense because it, it allows them to, you know, have users potentially bid on what comes up in the chat box. Also, it gives you additional impressions for subsequent queries. So imagine that, you know, in the same way that the people also ask, imagine that you just like went through each one of those, but it's in one experience where elements of the page update the results based on your subsequent questions. Well, then you can have new ads with each question. So again, I don't know which way they're going with it, but I think that that would be a good way to get the most out of it. And with them seeing, you know, less uh, people or less less advertising, creating more ad units by creating more impressions would be to their benefit. You know, I think that's the the best version I've heard of someone like predicting because people mm -hmm. are like they're just going to start answering all the questions. I'm like, well, they can't do that because they lose all the revenue. They need websites to get information from, to train documents, train on, and websites would just go away if they couldn't be reached. So uh, then they would lose all their training documentation. So I think mm -hmm. that's a really good way that you're suggesting that they might do it, where you could, if you're not sure what you're searching for, like instead of a people also ask, then you just ask a question and it gives you results like a people also ask, but without having predefined questions. That's what you're saying, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think that's a great idea. I think hopefully they listen to that idea. <laughs> <laughs> I started a blog post about it, but I didn't want to like, you know, I don't want to say something that might be too close to what they actually do, because then they're like, wait, where'd you get that from? 
<laughs> don't, don't worry about it. They'll they'll never hear it here. <laughs> um, okay, we are. I, I don't want to break flow or anything, but we're down to like our last five minutes. And I know, I know, we got there's another show coming up in the studio, like directly after us. So, like, um, we have to we have to sort of go rapid flow from now on. Um, AI is going to be incorporated into um, into Bing. It's going to be incorporated into uh, into Google Search. It already already is in many ways. Um, how do we make our pages available to it? How do we um, open ourselves up and take advantage of um, the new crawls? Yeah, that I haven't quite figured out yet because you know these these language models are trained on some very specific data sets like the Common Crawl, the Pile. Uh, they're pulling from like New York Times and you know CNN. They're pulling from Reddit. I don't know why anyone decided to do that, um, but. You know, it, it's hard to have a a clear set of tactics that's like, okay, you do these things and you'll definitely be in there. Um, so honestly, my my answer to that one is I don't know, but I mean, I guess the closest thing is like get your content in more of those places that you know that they're going to be in. Um, but I think for the case of Google's version of this. You don't have to do much of anything because you know it's already a function of what they're indexing. Okay, so we, I think we could probably assume the same will be this uh, similar to uh, to Bing. Um, and when Yahoo shows up again, which they've they've they've, they've <laughs> recently promised to, um, rooting for Yahoo. Come um, <laughs> on, you gotta. Um, they have an interesting. They're, they're so cute. Team, so, yeah, but I mean, no, the got, thing. Like, Sugar Ray and Brian LaFance and Chris. Um, Gave roars, well, they, so. they got that a bunch of superstars team. working with them. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, they always have though. Like they, when, when they had a, a search engine briefly, they've had some of the best IR engineers in the world working on it. It's just that the company never really like got their stuff together to, you know, make it be a competitor. And, you know, I think the reality of competing with Google and search is that they just have too much data. Like the, it's a cold oh, yeah. start problem for anyone. Like, you know, if you look at something like Neva, that's probably a better search engine than Google, but no one cares. <laughs> and it's very difficult <laughs> for you to start a brand new relationship that isn't going to be as reactive to you as Google is. So um, I wish Yahoo the best. And in fact, if they want to acqui hire me, I'll consider it. But... <laughs> Hey, I'm a, I'll, I'll go too. <laughs> I, have account, so I can justify having a Yahoo email. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it just seems it just seems far fetched that they're gonna, you know, be a major player. Yeah, it's probably true. Um, I'm, I'm Jim Lanzone, the former CEO of uh, Ask.com. When Ask.com was cool, just before they slid into mediocrity. Um, he's, he's now at the helm of Yahoo and that gives me hope. Um, but we'll, as always, we'll see, um, the, 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 the thing is we'll see a lot faster than we would have in the past because things are about to speed up significantly, I think. Yeah, I definitely. Just have that feeling. Um, we've gone full circle, Mike, it's, uh, it's top of the hour. I know that we have another, um, show coming up in, in the studio right behind us. So we're going to have to go. And this was way too much fun. We have to have you back again. Yeah. When the book comes out, let's do it again. Absolutely. Yeah, um, I do want to get a, a, a plug in here um, for your for, for your tunes on Spotify, um, mostly because I want enough people to listen so that you can afford to buy me a drink from, from them in a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. So the record is called Iconic. And my rap name is just Mike King. It's M-I-C- K-I-N-G. Um, so yeah, check it out. It's on all the streaming platforms and it's a really good rap record. You know what? I really, really, I, I got I got down as far as the uh, track Born to Die Alone and then I had to get back to work again. Really enjoyed it. So thank you. Um, uh, 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 props from an old man who, who knows his music. <laughs> um, but man, this was a lot of fun. Mike, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having thank me. Thank you, Mike. Friends, you have been listening to uh, Webcology with a special guest, um, Mike King, um, the guy who took apart Yandex last last weekend. And um, as I said in his introduction, it has a, a gajillion other accomplishments. 
this was also the uh, first uh, first full show for Christine as uh, as regular host. Um, what do you think? You stick uh, I think it's good. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I've been filling in for what a decade, so about that, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's just getting into that groove of doing it every week now, which will be great. It's like a conversation we have normally, but just on online for people to listen to. Yeah, and so, uh, often with some really intense, fun people. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so friends, again, you've been listening to Web College. You've recorded live to uh, live to podcast on the 2nd of February, 2023. Special thanks to uh, Ricky in the studio and Darren and Brandy in the back office. Um, stay safe, stay well, rank well, do the right things, build good pages, be kind to each other, and we'll talk to you next week. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.